0: 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 is our passage for today. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles and seat backs in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those as well. Here is the passage. This is the word of the Lord. It says this All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. That is the word of the Lord. Let us uh, pray to him that he speaks to us through his word uh, today. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, thankful for this time of worship that we have. We are here to rejoice in the good things that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, dying for sins, uh, living the life that we couldn't, being raised to newness of life, showing your power over the grave and sin and death. Uh, you being uh, rich in grace and mercy, so fit, That while we are yet sinners to die for us, not only die for us, but to make us new, raise us to newness of life with you, and to empower us to live the lives that you've called us to live. Lord, you have not given us a spirit of timidity, uh, but of power, love, and self-control and sound mind. Uh, We also thank you, Lord, for your word that tells us that your word does not return to you void. It goes out and accomplishes what it's sent out to do. So in this time, Lord, I I pray that through the foolishness of man that uh, you confound the wise uh, that as the grasses are watered or the grounds watered, that the seeds are planted and it produces uh, growth uh, for your glory and your uh, namesake. So we just pray for these things and we ask for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the title of our message today is The Man of God. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've kind of been doing some study for Sunday school, just for personal um, reflection and gain and uh, I heard this sermon from a pastor and I can't even remember who it was but um, it kind of piqued my interest in this topic the man of God uh, on how it's mentioned here how it's mentioned throughout scripture and its its origins and so I want to try to um, well excuse me this is one of three terms in scripture that I want to mention kind of do a high level view over before we get into our passage uh, and as we dig into a little deeper on what this verse or excuse me, this phrase means. So the the three terms that I want to mention are the Son of God, or Son of God, Son of Man, and Man of God. I think these are three terms that we are, uh, should be, in some form or fashion, decently familiar with. Now this term, Son of God, it's used 54 times in the Bible. It is used to describe Adam, the Hebrew people, Christ, and then Christians as a whole. Matthew 5, chapter 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So uh, we we get to see this term, son of God, in the New Testament, and it not only refers to Christ being the son of God, the only begotten of the Father, but it also refers to the household of faith, those not born of the will of man, but of the will of God, those who have the newness of life that is found only in Christ, who we know as the son of man, which brings me to the second term, son of man. Now this term is used 82 times in the New Testament alone, 78 in the Gospels, once in Acts, once in Hebrews, and then twice in the book of Revelation. Uh, The term is used over 100 times in the Old Testament, and it carries both meager and messianic origins. Messianic in the sense that in Daniel 7, this term is used when it says the Son of Man is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom as he stands before the Ancient of Days. And we know the Ancient of Days is one of the titles of God. Uh, also with the Son of Man. This is one of Jesus's, I guess you can call it a preferred term. This is the way that he typically uh, refers to himself uh, in the New Testament. Now this leads us to the last term, man of God, right? The the term that we are kind of going to focus on today. This is used 73 times in the Bible, 71 in the Old Testament and only twice in the New Testament. Uh, Both times it's used in Paul's writings, first in 1 Timothy and the second time in 2 Timothy. Now, 1st and 2nd Timothy, along with Titus that Pastor mentioned earlier, these are known as the pastoral epistles. These are the letters written to pastors on behalf of the church on how to instruct them on how to lead their churches. Uh, so this, um, with that in mind, the way man of God was used in the Old Testament, it was predominantly used of a, of, a, of a couple of men. There's many instances, but mainly we see it used of Moses. We see it used of David, Elijah, and Elisha. So in, in um I believe it's in Deuteronomy, it's used often in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings is where you see the majority of this term being used. So when this term is used, uh, more often than not, it's referring to the man God has set apart as a voice unto his people. So these are people that we know as prophets, right? These are, this is what the man of God was considered in the Old Testament, a prophet. And um, so that's the title of our message, right? The man of God, we're... we're using this time to ordinate or ordain David, uh, but we're not calling David a prophet, right? That's not what we're saying in this time. But this is how this term was used in the Old Testament and is carried over to the New Testament. Listen to what Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two says uh, concerning what we're talking about today. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So what we see here, right, in the Old Testament he spoke through the prophets, now he's spoken through the Son, Jesus Christ. Christ appointed apostles, the 12 apostles, and he sent them out. They appointed elders whom God raised up within these churches to lead them and to exercise authority over them that God had given them. So with that in mind, that's, that's the... That's kind of the overarching theme of what we're talking about today. But you may ask yourself, well, how do we know this is true? Why is it only pastors? And, and you know, those may be the kind of questions. How do we verify this? How, how do we know that these pastors that are raised up, that men are bringing, you know, up and, and affirming, how do we recognize that these, are, these men are going to um, steer God's people correctly, that they're going to be upright people once they're in there? Because we see a lot of them that veer off the path that God has given well, how we do this is through the scriptures, the law of God, the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And this takes us back to our passage for today, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. The scriptures are what hold pastors accountable. They bind our conscience. They soothe our souls. They teach us in the ways of righteousness so that we can rightly be called the man of God who is complete and equipped for every good work. So let's first look at verse 16. And and we'll kind of walk through this one, and then we'll walk through verse 17. So verse 16, I'm going to repeat it. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So what this is telling us is all of scripture is beneficial for us. In its proper context, there is much to learn from the scriptures, whether it be the historical narratives that are given, genealogies that are just given a bunch of names, uh, the poetic writings, uh, instruction, or the prophetic writings. All of scripture, when scrutinized, when tested, and, and people trying to find contradictions all of that stuff, all of it stands up to the test when it's understood within its original context, the original audience it was written to, and then the author's intent in writing the letter. Now, how is it profitable for us, right? If we're talking about scripture, how is it profitable? Well, there's three things that we're going to focus on that are mentioned in this verse. It teaches us. First, it teaches us, right? What does it teach us? Well, it teaches us who God is. It shows us who God is. This is his special revelation is what scripture is called. Uh, and it not only shows us who God is, it gives us an account of human history as well. We see man repeatedly doing foolish things and God patiently and lovingly showing kindness to people who would, have, who would always reject him. People think of the Old Testament God as the mean guy, right? They think of Old Testament where he's smiting and the land is swallowing them up and the flood and we kind of think of all these things and, well, that's, that's the Old Testament God. You know, he was mean and wrathful, and, but New Testament we have Jesus and Jesus is a nice guy and, and that's kind of the way that a lot of people try to discount what happened throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but if we're going to take the New Testament God as the nice guy, if we go all the way to the end of Revelation, we'll see just how nice he is to his enemies, right, when they're cast into hell for eternity. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can't discount who God is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is consistent throughout. But not only does it teach us, it reproves and corrects us. That, we are done, that is done to us by the word of God. This means that fault is pointed out and correction is offered so we don't continue walking in a manner unworthy of the calling God has given us. So not only are we taught, reproved, and corrected, we're also trained in righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It, it means right thinking and right acting. We are forced to examine our motives in all things. Scripture teaches us in 1 Samuel 16, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen to what Scripture tells us in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, concerning the word of God and, and its how, how it impacts us. It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and listen to this, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Without the word of God, we cannot, or excuse me, without the word of God, we are not only naked and exposed, but we are without hope. But God has given us his word, and it is profitable for us. It teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. Now, I want to finish our time in verse 17, and this is where we make our application, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, specifically, as I mentioned before, this is speaking of the pastor, right? So if we're going to hone it down specifically, but this applies to all of man. This, this applies to every, uh, every Christian, every son of God. Excuse me, every son of God, this applies to Timothy. Paul is speaking to Timothy in this time. So there is some specificity here, but it's applicable across the board. But this is what it says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all of scripture is profitable because of the sanctifying qualities it has upon the man of God. Not only are we taught, reproved, corrected, and trained, but it also makes us whole. We are not complete without it. We are lacking minus the word of God. Now, if you're out here today and you are seeking after riches or better jobs or um, a spouse or whatever the case may be, you will always be searching for that and you will never find hope in it. You will only find what you're truly looking for in the word of God. That is where hope is found, in no place else. Yeah, marriage, kids, a church, family all these things are blessings from the Lord. But without their proper context, it's all for nothing. Another effect of the word of God has on the man of God is not only that it makes him whole, but it equips him. It equips him. What does this word equip mean? Well, I mean, it's, it's a good word, I, mean, I think we've, we've, we know what the word means in general. But this word from the original language is defined as to furnish perfectly. To furnish perfectly is what this word means. Imagine having exactly what you need, when you need it, every time that you need it. That is being furnished perfectly, right? There's times where you know, people are doing this, like, oh, where, where did I leave whatever, your keys, your phone, uh, you're, you're missing sugar or salt when you're trying to cook something, right? Having everything you need is what this is talking about. You're furnished perfectly. To make the perfect pastor, he must be perfected through the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh, and he is known to us through his word as the author and perfecter of our faith. Apart from him, we are nothing, and apart from him, we have nothing. But with him, we are perfected and have everything we need. Now today, David, the man of God, we are recognized excuse me, are recognizing has answered this call. He is not your savior uh, and neither are we, right? None of us, none of these men that, that God raises up within his church are anyone's savior. Uh, I, I know there was a time for myself whenever I was down and out and I hit rock bottom, I reached out to pastor and, and God used him uh, to help me, right? I mean, this was a, a beautiful thing that God did, but it was God's working through him in my life, uh, so, yeah, we are not anyone's savior. We, 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 can't, we, don't, we don't play that role. We are servants of the church. David is but a broken man, raised up by God to serve in the capacity that God in his wise counsel has saw fit for him. He is only but a bruised reed that Christ would not break, the flickering wick that Christ did not quench. But just as David has answered this call to elder, the duty of, the, of his role is, and the responsibilities not only fall on him, but all on all of us today. As his fellow elders, pastor and myself, we bear the burden of this role of overseeing this church with him. You as a local body are called to hold him accountable to that charge that has been given to him by God. You are able to do this if you're asking how, well, how, how do we do this? Well, you are able to do this through prayer for him and his family, honoring him in the way that you speak to him and about him. And by your obedience to him as a pastor of this church. Now, David, I have full confidence in the Lord for this calling that that he has for you. Uh, This calling that that he has given to you, I believe that you will make a good and faithful pastor. Not because I trust in you specifically, but I trust in the Lord who has been faithful to this church in raising up other pastors. He has done this for Pastor Ricky. He has done this for myself. He is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. Now with all of this, I want to close with a reading from God's word to kind of wrap up our time uh, in this sermon. And, and this reading is found in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. This is the charge that's given to us. And if we're going to kind of wrap this thing up, this is a charge that's given to us as a church and as the leaders of this church. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. It says this, remember your leaders, those who, speak, who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us, how it is profitable, how it trains us, it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us. It does all this for your name's sake. It makes us whole. Uh, it, it equips us for the work that you have called us to. God, we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Lord, as we continue in this time, we pray for boldness for David uh, we pray for um, the, the helpmate that you have given him to walk alongside him, to help him in that, and for him to continue to live with her in an understanding way. Thank you for all those who are in attendance today that are able to hear your word preached and proclaimed. Uh, it is for your beautiful name, Jesus Christ, that we pray and give thanks. Amen.